You're listening to the Put On Waivers Podcast with your host, Dwayne Douglas, on the POW Sports Podcast Network. So whether it's the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, or even hockey, nah, forget about hockey. Now for the best in sports talk, come along for the ride with the Put On Waivers Podcast. Here's your host, Dwayne Douglas. So you're a philosopher? Yes. And everybody, let's welcome, you are welcome, kind of screwed that up, but welcome, thank you for joining us here on the <laughs> Put, on, Put On Waivers podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Douglas, along with a man podcasting out of the great state of Connecticut, the birthplace of Rick Mahorn, and the insurance capital of the free world, James Amato. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, and also subject right the hometown of calvin murphy calvin murphy yes calvin murphy and i would not be i'd be remiss if i didn't um talk about our other partner uh he is podcasting out of the great state of north carolina tar heel nation still holding true to his new york ties as a sports fan hasn't become a panther fan yet mike rolanda how you doing today i'm doing great the people here aren't even panther fans so it doesn't, it's, not that, it's not that difficult. It's not that difficult to yeah. change over. It, once you get past that Mason-Dixon line, it's all college sports. They don't care about pro. I, I, I learned that driving across the country. Nobody cares about pro sports in, in the South. Um, gentlemen, how are you doing today? Good. Doing good? Doing great. Doing really good. All right, good. So we're going to get started. Um, we had a surprise um, – not a surprise, but a, uh, um, a cool thing going on today. First 20 minutes, we're going to talk about a little baseball. Um, you know, it looks like Bryce Harper gave his farewell to the Nationals fans last <laughs> night with him and his dad at the Home Run Derby. It was pretty cool to see him do it. Um, talk a little Major Baseball, and then we're gonna we've been we've been you know talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. But now we're tonight we're gonna start our look back at the probably the greatest era in NBA basketball was the '80s. Um, brought on some great players. It was the beginning of the Jordan era. Um, Isaiah Thomas was at, at, at the end of that era, and we all know about Magic Bird. And one of my favorites, Terry Cummings, was the rookie of the year during that decade as well. So, yes. let's go Major League Baseball now. And last night, I mean, let's go first half of the year um, real quick. Tremendous job by the Red Sox so far this year, and they are just placeholders. They're not going to be there in the end because the Yankees are just so much better than them in every aspect of the game. But um, thoughts on the Red Sox and who are now leading by an amazing, this, this workmanlike team, um, these fighters, they're somehow four games up on the mighty Yankees, Mike. That's true. I will uh, also mention, I know you don't want to mention this, but they've also played three more games than the Yankees. So it's not, you know, it's not, might not be as crazy as it, as it might seem. But um, I'm, I've, I've said from the start, you keep, uh, I hear the, the big sarcasm in your voice, but I, I have said from the start when we uh, did our preview for MLB uh, podcast, we, I was very clear that the Red Sox and Yankees would be in it all the way. Red Sox have 
are, are very good. Um, and even better, you know, even I don't know if anybody could have really predicted that they would hit like this um, and as consistently. I mean, they literally, you, you laugh, they don't lose. I mean, it's just crazy. They, they're just playing so well. Imagine being 38 games over 500 at the break. I mean, it's just insane. So, um, and, then, and then you still, you still, I still think the Astros are better than both the Yankees and the Red Sox. So it's kind of a, I mean, it's a diff, difficult time to be good in the American League. Um, you're not, you're not locked into anything. So it'll be interesting. The Yankees got to get another pitcher. I don't think there's any, any question about it. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on the, on the, on the Red Sox who are just biding time until the Yankees take them, take them over. Was that for Mike or for me? Just... Oh, I'm sorry, James. James, go ahead. <laughs> You're throwing me off, man. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's amazing, like how they continue to win. Um, you know, they're not really dominating teams. A lot of these last last inning wins, last at bat wins. Um, it's a different player every single day. But I, I do have to agree with Mike. I I also believe Houston's is still the best team in the American League. Uh, when you look at it, they're they're playing in the tougher division, um, you know. So you know they they don't have as big of a lead, they don't have as many wins, but they're in a tougher division with what's going on down there, um, especially the way Seattle's playing. Um, a lot of good baseball coming out of the West. A lot of good baseball in general, you know. In in this first half, a lot of exciting stuff. Um, you can't say, you know, it, it's going to come down to the Yankees and the Red Sox. Obviously, um, American League East is over. But it's Houston, you know, the next two weeks will be interesting with the trade line. Like, who goes where? What has become available? It's pretty, I, you know, at this point, I don't think the Mets are trading a pitcher. You know, the more you read into it, they're, they're not doing anything. They're happy with what they have. They believe they can rebuild. They, they can do some changes there. So you're going to have a lot of, like, D-lines, you know, number two, maybe number some three starters getting traded. Um, it's really going to come down to like who can get the best, and, and no one's giving up any any minor league talent. And that's, you know, I, I want the, the the trade deadline to be exciting. It doesn't seem like it right now, especially if Machado gets traded tomorrow. That takes a lot. Yeah, um, the, the trade deadline is for day that Juris comes out on, on iTunes uh, digital. So if the trade deadline gets more, you'll at least be able to watch Thanos wipe out half the world again. So, um, yeah, I, you know, the Red Sox, it's, it's an amazing year. You can't take anything away from them. And, and just what they're doing, they're not paid for 111 wins. The Yankees are not paid for 107 wins. Um, so I know you you being a fan of a team with 100-plus wins getting into the playoffs to hurt you a little bit. Yeah, so it's – it's. I mean, that race, they have, I guess they have 10 games left. So that will definitely be um, really cool to see what happens there with the 10 games that they have left. Um, I had, I was, I had a, I watched the home run derby last night, which I'm sure you guys, sure you guys did too. And one of the most incredible things that I witnessed in this game is because the feed I got wasn't the number one feed. It was the ESPN news feed. And surprisingly, and this is, this is a, this is just, this is a tremendous job by ESPN um, by getting him, getting him on and how good he was, but they had, and Waldo Perez, they had a couple other guys in the, in the booth, and then they had, for like for a couple of rounds, they had Bill Nye, the science guy, and I cannot explain to you to how good he was. 
Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but going to high school, science, science was our science was the most um, unthinkable subject I had. I, I couldn't stand science. But he was really, really good. And if you didn't get a chance to see it, go YouTube it. He was outstanding. I think baseball should actually do something with him. He was talking about how the cork bat doesn't do anything, like all these, all these different scientific things about how, you know, the, the home runs and what these guys do was it was tremendous to um, um, to hear and listen to. But looking at Harper, tremendous job last night. I mean, listen, it's batting practice. I get it, but it's still a tremendous skill that he has. I was kind of um, looking at Bregman, hoping that hoping, hoping the little guy would come through. But um, James, thoughts on the home run derby and um, and what Harper did in the last ninety seconds. Yeah, I, I was actually out um, and, and home derby out of the bathroom, and uh, you know, I was having two at a time when I was out last night to actually watch the home run derby, and then I, I came home and watched it. You know, I saw the celebration. You know, Major League Baseball, we've given them a lot of crap about not letting the stars shine and, and be their own and really stick out. Man, did anyone have more fun than Kyle Schwarber last night? You know, maybe, maybe Bryce Harper. Um, it, it was it was just a lot of fun and a lot of excitement. Um, I was someone who had been very bored by the home run derby over the years. I I am not a Chris Berman fan. I I grew out of Chris Berman in the '90s. I thought he was stick back then. Um, I stopped watching the home run derby because of Chris Berman. Um, once they put the time limit back onto the game, the, or the at bats, I thought that that was made it that much more exciting. Um, say what you will about not waiting to pitch or, and whatever. But, um, yeah, that that was, you know, incredible. 18 home runs in, in those last 90 seconds is just it's crazy. It, it's crazy what he did with that. Um, you know, and then, like, like, who in Major League Baseball could beat up Bryce Harper's dad? That guy looks like a professional wrestler. Uh, he, you know, he, he looks like one of those wrestlers from the 80s um, with the long beard. All he needed was, like, a, like a big two-by-four with him. But, um yeah, that, it was actually a lot of fun to watch the replay last night and, you know, getting ready for work this morning, having it out in the background and hearing people talk about it. And even listening on the radio, um, there, there was a lot of excitement around it, and, and Major League Baseball deserves a lot of credit for that. And, of course, I think it's always you get a lot more juice, a lot more pop out of the crowd when that hometown player is in it. So if you're going to do anything, you know, going forward is – you have to make sure you get a hometown player in, in the home run derby just to keep the fans going on all, all, the whole contest. Um, Mike, thoughts on the home run derby? And um, Harper, what Harper did in the last 90 seconds? I think, no, it was outstanding. I mean, I I actually, I watch the home run contest every year. and I, I like, and the ones that stand out are the ones that have the most drama to them. I think James is right, adding the time limit, adding the clock, it adds a ton of drama and uh, and just excitement to to it. Um, there's a few home run contests that actually stand out. I mean, I remember the Josh Hamilton. That was a, that was mm-hmm. a phenomenal one. Last night's was great. I mean, you, you can remember the ones that were that were really awesome. And just you know, I I like to when I watch the home run contest, I like to come out of it. I'm most excited when I when I'm, I'm going to see something that's not something I see all the time. Uh, like even watching last year, Aaron Judge. I know I'm a Yankee fan, but it's not. It's rare that you see a ball go 500 feet, and him, him and Stanton putting on a show last year. Josh Hamilton was the same way last night. Just the drama of, and skill it takes to hit home runs under pressure. You know, I mean, there's not really, you know, there's not game pressure, but it's pressure when he, I mean, if anybody had pressure on them, it was him last night, and have him come through is pretty amazing. We were joking during it, 
and Dwayne and I that uh, in about four months they'll be burning his jersey, most most likely. But last night, <laughs> last night they were cheering, so it's a, it, it was it was all good um, last night. Everybody loves him, and uh, that'll last a few more months, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. So um, I thought it was it was interesting because if you looked at um, at the end, you could tell his dad was getting nervous because a lot of he missed he had like four or five pitches that were like at his back ankle. Um, and one of the, one of the things that was different was kind of cool too was that most people, it's a it, it's the the batting practice pitch is usually for major major leaguers a little bit you know in between, you know a hard and a soft pitch. His his father was gunning it you know as fast as he can from you know half the distance of of the sixty foot sixty foot six inches. So it's kind of cool to see um, uh, how different strategies um, people had to as well. But doesn't um, Swarber remind you of like some guy just playing softball? Like <laughs> he reminds you of some like like if you ever played in a softball league, he reminds you of some yeah. big slugger who just can hit, who can just like you know just gets in the box and just smokes the thing you know four hundred feet um, playing goes softball. Back to the dugout and has a beer. Goes, goes, goes back to the dugout and has a beer. Yeah, that's, I, honestly, yeah. that's what it reminds me of. It's amazing. Um, he's a, he's Manny, a player, you know, the, the Bob Horner, the Greg Lazinski, he he's like that type of player where, you know, obviously it's a different workout regimen in the offseason, but he's, he's he's just a big guy and, and can hit the ball far. And um, he lo- you can tell he enjoys playing the game. Like, he loves playing baseball. And that's to see him out there last night doing that and, being as animated and drawing attention and making it exciting, I think that that is the shot in the arm that Major League Baseball needs, and, and and to start getting the players out on the front line. Like that's the guy who who needs to be on, you know, a late night show uh, as a guest. Like get him on the Tonight Show, get him with um, Jimmy Fallon. Um, he just seems to be that type of guy who could really promote baseball in a fun way and bring some fans in. And one thing I'll say about you know Theo Epstein and what he's done with the Cubs. Doesn't that group of Cubs, that group of young Cubs, they they just play with a smile on their face all the time? Like I never see Rizzo in a bad mood. I never see you know was a Chris Bryant. Um, have, nobody who who has more fun than um than um Baez playing second base or playing shortstop for them. Um, he he has the MLB logo right in the back of his neck, which is which is probably the if you're gonna get a tattoo, it's pretty. That's kind of a badass tattoo that he has right there in the back of his neck, the logo at, um of of Major League Baseball right on the back of his neck. But those guys, um, those Cub guys are really. I give him a lot of credit for that, um, being just playing with a lot of fun. And they had some fun um, in the home run derby with um, Baez and Schwarber. Um, announcement, so I know that we have been on iTunes, and like I said, you guys have done a great job um, helping us with the show and um, promoting the show and talking about the show, word of mouth with the show. Um, thank you for listening, of course. And we are going to be on Stitcher radio um or or excuse me stitcher.com i guess i'm not I'm, i don't have stitched i don't have stitcher but i know there has been a request for us to get on stitcher and our next our this podcast here will be on stitcher coming up um coming up soon um put on waivers.com is the website um so we're going to be we're going to be revamping that a little bit and also raiders today um dot com is another site that we have and we'll be doing that as we get closer and closer july is the last month without um, without football, so after that, after that July, it's all football, um, baseball all the way as, as, as far as that goes. Um, anything else about the uh, the All Star Weekend? I have a change for the Home Run Derby, and this is what I want for the Home Run Derby. Number one, I want the Home Run Derby to, to be before 
the futures game because the futures game being on um on Sunday when Major League Baseball is being played is just idiotic. <laughs> it makes no sense. How about like where's the All Star game next year? Is anybody know? Top of the head? Not sure. No, I can look at not it. Sure. Yeah, we'll take a look at it. So this year, right? Let's just say the All Star game. The All Star game itself is going to be in. It's going to be in the in, 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 in the national stadium, Cleveland. Okay. okay. So. So how about the home run derby and the futures game being in the same stadium, same stadium as the Cleveland Browns? You you put the baseball diamond in the field. It's just, it's just for the home run derby and the futures game. You fill that place like. You know, forget about forget about like what you feel the place as if it's a like it's a football game. I think it would be a great aesthetic look for for Major League Baseball to fill a football stadium filled with baseball fans, and for the home run derby that would be that actually would be kind of cool to see how you know you still have the same dimensions, but let's just see how far that ball can actually go in a full football stadium um, for for a one for a one time event. Any Interesting. Um, um, I mean, the way the the football stadiums are designed today, they're they're not as they don't have that same feel as a, as the old stadiums where you you could play two sports in them. Um, and then you you think back to when the Angels played a couple years in the, the Los Angeles Coliseum, and they had that fifty sixty foot net in left field because because left field was only like two hundred and ten feet away. So um, you know it, it could be interesting if you set it up like that with a giant wall in left field. Um, but yeah, you know, if you can get the dimensions and, and do something different, but I do, I, I actually ended up watching the futures game on Sunday. Um, and it was interesting. It was good to see. I was impressed the first inning by Sheffield and then, uh, he gave up a couple of long home runs. So I can probably see why the Yankees haven't considered calling him up yet. There's still some raw work to do there, but, um, it, it was, it was a fun game to watch. And again, you, you get the, these guys playing for their home country and they just have a lot of fun with it um, and, and just watching everyone partner up. But it, it was nice to watch. Um, and, and they really do. They have to get that into a better spot, you know, do the home run derby. And then, you, you know, even if you do even if you do the futures game, this, you know, the afternoon of the home run derby, um, you know, just set it at like a set time or a set limit, you know, that it's going to be done by this time. So we can have the home run derby start on time. But um, Sunday, yeah, Sunday was not the best day for it, but I just was not, you know, I really wanted to watch it. I had nothing to do. Um, I was a little under the weather. So I ended up, you know, just kicking back and and watching that game. And and it was interesting to watch. It was was actually fun to watch. Yeah, it it, it is fun to watch. I mean, like anything like, I, I like that game, I like the first year. Um, I guess the NBA does the first year against the second year players, rookies versus the second year players. I like that game as well. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. I'm gonna take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're gonna be talking about '80s basketball. Oh, what a beautiful era that was! How would you feel if you got pulled over for speeding today, but you didn't get a ticket? Now that feels good, doesn't it? Well, that's pretty much what it feels like when your computer crashes or gets infected with a nasty virus if you get Carbonite online backup before you have your next computer disaster. With Carbonite, you get a do-over. You get your pictures and your other priceless files back. Computer disasters are inevitable, but for only $59 a year, Carbonite gives you safe, 
automatic and unlimited backup for your PC or Mac. Plus, with Carbonite, you get anytime, anywhere access to your backed up files from any computer or on your smartphone or iPad with a free app. Try Carbonite free for 15 days. Plus, get two free months with purchase. To get this special offer, click on the Carbonite banner or visit Carbonite.com and use offer code free trial. That's Carbonite.com, offer code free trial. Or simply click on the Carbonite banner on your screen. Love Talk Radio. Thought the Lakers had a big game, James. Wait till you hear our guy, James Amato, on the Put On Waivers podcast. Put on waivers podcast. Listen, anytime you can sprinkle in a little Curtis Blow into a program, you get you got to do it. You got to take it in old school. <laughs> Curtis Blow. Oh my goodness, I gotta yeah. love it. I gotta love it. I gotta love it. So, eighties basketball. Um, obviously, we talk about it forever and how how we love the era. So let's just start. Um, let's start and go and jump right into it. No kind of. No way of really doing it, just jumping right in. Um, nineteen eighty, the first year of the decade. And um the seventies before the eighties basketball started, the seventies was a really seven sixties, seventies was a really tough time for the NBA, right? Um a lot of players were um Yeah, well you were, you, you 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 think about it, you you start with the sixties, right? And I don't want to go too deep into into the past, but the sixties, the Celtics win nine out of the ten championships. Right, and and the Sixers went the other one. You get into the seventies, and and the whole culture of basketball changes. And we we touched base about this a while ago uh, on our podcast about how it was like the individual sport, and, and still today the NBA is still the coolest league in the room. Um, the seventies every year you had a different champion, um, and you had the Celtics and the Knicks are the only two teams that won two championships in that decade. And I remember, you know, in the early eighties there was like a lot of talk. And you wouldn't believe it nowadays because the way everyone talks about the Golden State Warriors, but it's like what happened to the dominant teams? Where are the super teams? Where are these teams that that are really great? You know, we're, we're never going to have that again. You know, there's too much parity in the league. There's a different team winning every year. Um, and they, they had a lot of problems. Like, there, there was a cultural shock. Um, you know, the, the times were different. we got to admit that. There was a lot of interest in the games. Um, and, and for probably the wrong reasons, Um you know, and, and you just get into the 80s, and, you know, I started following the Lakers for two things. The first thing was I saw a movie called The Fish of Pittsburgh, which we also talked about, and they introduced me to Colonel Jabbar. And then the second thing was Magic Johnson, uh, you know, and, and those finals, the NCAA finals. And I, I became a Laker fan out of that. And, and I remember when the Lakers made the finals in 1980 against the Sixers, Every game was played after 11.30 at night. It was played after 11 o'clock news uh, on tape delay. You know, so I had to actually sneak downstairs and put the game on very quiet so that I could watch <laughs> the Lakers play basketball. Yes, yes, yes. It's a little crazy. So 1980, 
um, the uh, the, tri- the Golden State Warriors had the first pick in the draft. Um, they they chose um, Joe Barry Carroll in that draft. Um, one one there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a one player in this in this decade that really it, it, it's fascinating how how he didn't win. Uh, the big one, which we'll talk about that. But the Boston Celtics were ahead of the game. Um, as I go through the whole list, Mike Jaminski went seventh, um, Andrew Tony went eighth, but Kevin McHale went third. And I think that was like that was that's Boston being Boston there. That's Red Arbach being Red Arbach. Just you know, just finding the best guy of um, of the whole lot, having the third pick in the draft there, and and picking up one of the best power forwards in the history of the game, right there, right, Mike. <laughs> Absolutely. I actually, uh, we were talking about getting ready for this show, and I, I could not believe that the 19. I know we're, I know we're in 1980. I'm not going to jump ahead, but the 1984 Boston Celtics. They had Kevin McHale coming off the bench. He was the sixth man of the year, and I just could not believe the talent. I mean, it's just crazy. Um, just think about that. He's coming off the bench. Um, it's just wild. So, um, yeah. I mean, you, you named a, a bunch of players there. Obviously, headlined by. Um, by Magic and Birds, so the you know the you can tell the course of the. I mean, looking back now, I don't know if they knew it at the time. I was only five years old, but um, the, looking at it at the time, the the course of the whole NBA changed when those two guys came into the league. It just you know everything just changed. Even with even with stars already you know still in obviously Dr. J and Kareem and a whole host of other guys, um, Magic and Bird just just kind of you know things changed when they came in. Yeah, um, you you go back and look at the standings that year. Um, you had the Spurs. The Spurs were really that team in the decade who just could not get over the hump. Um, you know, kind of like the you know, the Vikings with you know the Vikings and some of the other teams in um, all sports who couldn't get um, could get that championship. They were they were just a team that, that always finished at number one in the Midwest Division, but could never win the championship. Um, and, and then they were followed in the standings by the Kansas City Kings, not the Sacramento Kings. The, the Kansas City Kings were right there, right behind them. Um, and the Boston Celtics won the championship in 1980. Uh, they played the Houston Rockets with uh, Mike Dunleavy, Rudy T. Rudy T. One of my favorite um, yeah. guards in the, in the, in the league, um, James um, Robert Reed. I love Robert Reed. Um, Calvin Murphy yeah. was on that team, and then a guy who just seems like he played for on every team in the league, um, Moses Malone. I mean, Moses Malone. I, you forget that he was at some point he, well, he was a Rocket, so he was a, he was a dominant player for all, for you know for all those years. But you're gonna see a recurring theme here. The Spurs lost the Western Conference Final to a team to the to the Rockets, who were only 40 and 42. And they, you know, that that's that's kind of, you know, that's big right there. They, 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 to lose, that would be a huge upset nowadays. You don't see those, you don't see upset like that nowadays. But it seemed like the Iceman couldn't just could not get to the NBA Finals. I mean, just just even in uh, a year George where, Griffin, it, you know, yeah, it, it, it's it's amazing. You'll see it through this whole decade. He could not get through the NBA. He could not get to the NBA Finals. He just couldn't do it. Yeah, the, it, the it amazing, was, amazing thing, like those those first three or four years of the '80s and coming out of the '70s is the first round was best of three, right? And and the Lakers lost that game three in Houston. I'm sorry, at home um, to Houston on like a last-second tip-in shot. And the, the Lakers were in a lot of disarray that year. It, it was the year before Pat Riley coming on. Um, and, you know, you didn't think they'd, they'd win again the way that season ended. And there was a lot, a lot of um, 
disarray on that team, you know, and, and magic kind of, you know, went to Jerry Buss and was just like, yeah, you got to get rid of this coach. And then he didn't get rid of him at that point at the end of the season. And, and eventually during the next season got rid of Westhead. But um, yeah, that, that was really, you know, when you look at that, that Houston roster, like they had no chance against the Celtics that year. Like, I mean, you no. talk about a team that was an underdog. Like, like when I read that roster again today, like I couldn't believe that was an NBA Finals team, <laughs> and I couldn't believe they beat the Lakers. I still can't. They beat the Lakers. They beat they beat the the Spurs. I mean, and, and and the Spurs and George Gervin didn't even have to go through the Lakers to get to the finals that year. Like, you know, just, I mean, just, they couldn't do it. They just, I mean, they were in first place almost this whole decade and they could not get that done in 1980. So let's move on to, um, to eight to the 81, 82 season. The Lakers, when the Lakers win the championship, um, let's see here. Marl Moses Malone was the MVP. And then we have Buck Williams, Buck Williams. What a great net he was, right? You don't say that. You don't say that too often, but he was a great net. Um, yeah, he was. <laughs> he, and he uh, he was rookie of the year um, that year. Lakers came back. Um, you go from you go from you know Celtics to to Lakers. There um, thoughts about this season. This was I mean this is another year, another season where I look at the standings, and boom, you see this you see the Spurs with almost an almost identical record to the year before, and they and they're in first place. I mean, they're in they're in, they're in first place, and they and they and they could not and they could not um, get over they couldn't get over the top there to um to win the championship there um in that in that season. So to see we'll check that out there and 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 look at that. Um, kind of kind of what one cool thing about the um about the draft that year, um the player who was taken two hundred and first in that draft was Michael Lano. Do you know who that was? No, I don't know who that was. You're talking he about the '85 the, draft. I'm talking about I'm, I'm talking about the um, the '81 '82 draft. So before oh, that season, draft. Yeah, so in that draft they had a the 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 200th and first player, which is like crazy because they had they had so many rounds back then. They don't have that many rounds now. Was none other than Tony Gwynn. Just wow, shows wow. you what kind of. It just shows you what kind of athlete Tony Gwynn was. He wasn't just a guy who was gonna, gonna test, you know, the marks of you know three three eighty three ninety almost four hundred for his career, um, or, or or in a season trying to catch Ted Williams. He was a guy who could play basketball as well. Um, he's a San Diego for life. Power guy. forward. Um, he was six, power six forward. two. Six two power forward. <laughs> you probably could beat that back then, right? Oh my goodness. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! Sixty-two. That, 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 that's 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 amazing. So you have that there. Um, in the draft, second-round gems were Danny Ainge and Eddie Johnson. Remember Eddie Johnson? Was a tremendous. Yeah. Um, six man. Was a tremendous six shooter. Man for a while. Both both of those guys were great shooters. Um, Eddie Johnson was a lot like more a little bit more likable than Danny Ainge, but we won't get into that. Um, and but this was but this was the year that James spoke about the year where. This was the first power play by an NBA star, really, and then it was. This was when Magic said, "You know, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not playing. I'm not playing for this guy." And they they, they removed him, and, and Pat Riley became the the Lakers the Lakers head coach. Yeah, and there was a lot of controversy around that, and and to the point where you know there was even talks that 
you know, some of the veteran players were, were going to try to force Magic out of Los Angeles because um, they didn't like his, you know, he had, you know, basically the key to Jerry Buss's office. And, you know, for him to go in and demand the coach to be fired. And he, he ended up not playing a couple of games or, or cutting out halfway during a couple of games. Um, and, and they thought that was kind of a protest. There's a lot of mixed stuff about that, exactly what it was. But, but yeah, like, he, he got his wish. It was really at an age when you, you know, I was, I was 16 at the time, so then you're really kind of understanding that sports is a business. You're kind of getting it, and it's more than just having fun, and there's a lot to it. But, you know, it, it was a great season. Um, the All-Star Game was played at the Brendan Byrne Arena in New Jersey. Um, that's actually where I saw my first ever NBA game was at the Brendan Byrne Arena. Um, Isaiah Thomas's rookie season. Um, you look at the – you look at the all-rookie team that year, and you have Buck Williams, who we talked about, Kelly Tripuka, Isaiah Thomas, and Jeff Ruland, um, you know, and, and Jay Vincent of the Mavericks. But that, that was, um, you know, quite the year right there. And, and that was also the year where, you know, the Sixers realized that Daryl Dawkins was just not going to cut it at center, and, and they weren't stopping Kareem with Daryl Dawkins. And, and, and that just, you know – leads you into one of the one of the biggest trades of the decade that's really an underrated trade until you get into the next season. Yeah. Uh Mike, so this is where the Sixers kinda of poked their head out after after we got the we got the Celtics, then we had the Lakers. Um and and the Lakers for a while with, with Magic Johnson there, with this whole controversy going on, they were calling them Tragic Johnson, right? They were calling them they were making kind of it's weird that he had he had already had a championship and they were already calling him Tragic Johnson, so it's kinda of weird that, that 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 name kinda of stuck for a while until he, until he hit that hook shot in Boston. But the Sixers um beat the Lakers four zero um in the in the NBA finals. Um they had the best record. I mean that that was probably the best I mean, this was probably one of the best Sixer teams in history, right? Ever, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty much known as one of the best teams of of, of all time. Not, I wouldn't say it's a, especially now with with the Warriors, it's probably maybe a. I don't, I don't know if James would would agree, but maybe a, maybe a top 15, 10, 15 team probably of all time. They had, they had just great players. I mean, Moses came in. It's the famous fo 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 in the playoffs. You know, he <laughs> predicted they were gonna they were gonna sweep everybody. It was, you know, it's a an obvious switch too, because the Sixers were making the finals. I mean, they were, they lost in the finals in 80. Um, I think they lost in 82. And then, um, I mean, you're, you're looking at uh, adding Moses. They had, I mean, they had a great team. They had Andrew Tony. They had uh, Mo Cheeks. Um, they, they had defense. They, you know, obviously Dr. J was, they had star power everywhere. Um, you know, Bobby Jones, they had guys coming off the bench that were good. I mean, you just, they had, they had a ton of talent. And when you think about the Laker 80s team getting swept in the finals is, is, is pretty extraordinary stuff. But Moses was tough. I mean, Moses Malone was tough, um, could score, was just a bruiser, rebounded the ball like never, like, like no one else, um, just just played great. It was, just, it was like one of those seasons that just came together. Everything just came together. It was their time. And I think kind of the league knew it was their time. Um and, and Moses was definitely the final piece added. Yeah, no question. And then you look at um, the playoffs there, and like 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 James said, it was it was best out. Of, it was a it was, it was a baseball series. It was it was two out of three. So so, so you had to have that. And then Boston, three, you you had to yeah. buy. Like so, first place teams had to buy. 
Um, you know, you can't talk about those those great Sixer teams without talking about Mark Ivoroni either um, <laughs> um, coming off the bench for the Sixers. But yeah. in, in my opinion, to, to kind of answer the question Mike brought up, that Sixer team is, is a top three NBA team for me. Um, that's probably the most wow. dominant team I've ever, I've ever seen play um, once they got Moses Malone. Like, they – the fact that they lost 17 games that year, like you think about it, because they, they talk about the record a lot, like, oh, they only went 65 and 17, right? It's like, oh, only went 65 and 17. But you're talking about the NBA, like they, they had a, an expansion era in 77 when the ABA, you know, merged over. And, and again, you, you brought four or five teams over, you merged that league into smaller teams, and then they came over. And so it wasn't really a true expansion. And your next expansion was until 87. So you're not talking about a lot of NBA teams. So NBA teams were deep. So when 65 games that year in that league um, was incredible, and, and they dominated every single game. And, and it was almost like they were they were just gearing up for the playoffs. Moses was on a mission. You know, the fo-fo-fo, it, it turned out to be fo-fi-fo. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely – it's, it's a top three all-time NBA team, but, but definitely the, the, the most powerful – wrecking crew of a team I've ever seen where they, they just, they were a very dominant, only 65 win team. Um, they, they were just that good. You know, they, I, to sweep again, to sweep the Lakers in the finals that year, it was just incredible. Um, I didn't think the Lakers were going to beat the Sixers that year, but you know, I, I would have expected at least two wins for the Lakers. Yeah. Um... You know what's it actually saved, it actually saved a little bit of the reputation of Dr. J because those teams are making the finals, but they, they weren't getting over the hump. And to think about that Sixer team, adding even a, even a year later, adding a guy like, I know he wasn't great early in his career necessarily, but Charles Barkley to a team that, I mean, that, that won a title is, uh, is amazing that they didn't, I know they were always there and the Celtics kind of always edged them out, but the idea that they never even made it back to a final, pretty extraordinary. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I think also Dr. Jack's um, Trailblazer team, that team is looked upon as one of the best teams ever as well, too. So there are some teams that just, I mean, even though they were, they might have been just a one-time champion, uh, they they are looked at, they are looked at um, as one of the best teams ever um, in the history of the NBA. A, and then you have another. There's a and, very, and then, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry, there's a very underrated team in the in the 80s that no one talks about, especially those first, you know, from 81 to 85, and that, that was the Phoenix Suns. Um, the Phoenix Suns, they actually won the division the year that the Lakers got knocked out by the Rockets in the first round, 80-81. They won the division by, like, three games. They had this, this little core team of, of Alvin Adams, and, and they had Dennis Johnson for a while, um, you know, just – a really good little team there. And, and they were actually a team that was, um, that Kyle Macy, who, who was another little, you know, great superstar underrated team. No one really talks about this team. They gave off a lot in the shuffle, but that was a team that, um, they actually had a big drug scandal on that team. And that team just fell apart after that drug scandal. And then another season where the Spurs were in the Western Conference Finals and just couldn't get it done. They couldn't get to the finals. And they beat the also. I mean, it's, it's, it's a recurring theme this whole decade. I never, I never, I never really. Now I know why that franchise celebrated so much when they got that first title because this has been the Heartbreak Hotel. If you're a long time, if you're a long time Spurs fan, 
um, in the San Antonio area. I mean, this is, you know, this is, that was really tough to, to have to deal with. I'm always looking up and even the year that you, you probably figure, Hey, the, the Lakers aren't in the final, aren't in the finals. So we have a chance to get there that they, they still can't get there. So we have that as well. Um, looking at anything else in that, in the, in that, in that year, Let's see here. You, you, we know about Philly and their and their tremendous and their tremendous team that that um, that year. Uh, you mentioned Phoenix. Phoenix was out there. I, I love seeing the SuperSonics just in the just in the standings period because they should still be in the standings. Um, that's kind of ridiculous that 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 that, um, that great city does not have a team and kind of drives you crazy. Uh, and then um, I believe one of my favorite players, yes, Terry Cummings, was the Rookie of the Year. Who was talk about a just a beast on the block. I mean, Terry Cummings and, and guys like Terry Cummings and Moses Malone, boy, they just lived at the free throw line. They lived there. I mean, that was how was they just yeah. they just shot more free throws than anybody else you could imagine um, all day and all night. So quick, we'll, we'll take a quick break here. Got got some couple more. Got got you know seven years to go. Kind of kind of go through um, the '80s as baseball has their All Star break. It's two to one. The American League is winning, but we will continue with our 80s look back at the greatest decade in NBA history. Required listening with Amazon Music. Dad Music again? The greatest guitarist of all time. Wait, who? Alexa, add this song to a new playlist. Sure, what's the new playlist name? Jack's Intro to Classic Rock. Adding Stepping Stone by Jimi Hendrix to Jack's Intro to Classic Rock playlist. Amazon Music, the simplest way to listen to the music you and soon he will love. New customers start your 30-day free trial at AmazonMusic.com. Renews automatically. Cancel anytime. Hey, you need a sports fix? Rate, review, and subscribe to the Put on Waivers podcast with Mike Rolando. Back on the Put On Waivers podcast, another glorious episode, going through the 1980s now, kind of a podumentary. I kind of created that, so nobody take that from me. Um, so I got to <laughs> trade my back quickly, a podumentary. I don't want to see I don't want to see that on 30 for 30 now. Let's, let's keep let's calm that down now. Um, <laughs> one, one, little, go, one little piece of news that we missed in 82, 83 was that was the first year NBA, um, ESPN had um, NBA rights to televise some games. So, you know, after a couple of years of being on the USA Network with Tuesday Night Basketball and Friday Night Basketball, ESPN um, signed on and, and they were sharing the rights with the USA Network. So that's the first time they, they really got involved with a, a real big professional league. Yeah. Yep. Let's go. The Celtics were the champions that year. Um, Larry Bird was the most valuable player and the rookie of the year was none other than Ralph Sampson. Ralph Sampson coming yep. through. Wow. Wow. Sixty two and twenty was the record for the Celtics. So and they were well they were they were the best team in the league. I mean I mean like you know how Boston is. I mean the, 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 that that was when that was when it was in, just terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying to play a deciding game of any sort 
in the Boston Garden. Right, Mike? I mean, that was just, I mean, that was, that was one of the most, that was the most, well, that was turn, one of the most terrifying they used to place. They turn the heat terrifying. up. They used to turn the heat up to like 97. I mean, <laughs> just, they used to play games like that all the time. It wasn't enough that they had the better team. Uh, they, it's, it's almost like uh, uh, another New England team has taken some of that, uh, some of the, the, the cheating spirit, I guess, uh, over the last 10, 15 years. But we'll, we'll, we'll keep it here. But, um, yeah, there was always those stories about how, you know, um, about there would be these interesting things happening in the hotels and fire alarms being pulled and uh, teams not being treated very well uh, while they were there. So, um, I mean, and, and again, that's separate from the, the Celtics being so talented. So, a uh, very difficult place to play, um, you know, and the reason why they dominated the area along with the Lakers. So, um, yeah. but again, that, that that team is just immensely talented. I mean, they just had they just had great players. Uh, and James, you look at the team you talked about, the Phoenix Suns. They were in the Western Conference Finals, lost to the Lakers, four games to two. Yeah. Um, I, I remember just I remember the I remember the Milwaukee Bucks playing in the Mecca. I just I just love that. So I yeah. loved that 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 place was in that place was tremendous. Um, but Boston beat yeah. them in um in five games in the yeah, Eastern Conference that, Finals. That so. was the year. That was the year I went to my first ever NBA game, and it was actually the Nets and the Bucks in the second round of the playoffs. And in the first round, the Nets defeated the, the NBA champion Sixers three games to two and they won all three games at the spectrum and even though they lost four games to two to Milwaukee I actually went to the first ever New Jersey Nets home NBA playoff win on May 5th of, of 1984 that year I was working at a, a pizza restaurant in Norwalk for any local listeners who remember Pizza Den in Norwalk I was working there and the owners had an extra ticket like hey you want to come to the game tonight and I was like yeah let's, let's go and that was the first NBA game I ever went to, and it turned out to be like a history-making little game. Um, the other thing I remember from the playoffs that year is the Knicks took Boston to seven games that year in the second round of the playoffs. Um, and there were some incredible, incredible playoff games in that series. Um, even though Boston steamrolled through the season and, and won the finals, um, that was probably one of the most exciting NBA playoff series I ever remember watching and seeing. Um, and then I just remember the Celtics training for Dennis Johnson. And that was like, I knew he was going to be the difference maker. I, I was a huge fan of Dennis Johnson when he was with the Suns and with the Sonics. And um, like once they got Dennis Johnson, I was like, oh, that's the difference maker right there. He, he, he's such a good player. I remember uh, watching. Wait, I... Go ahead. No, the only thing I was going to say is that one of the things as you research, uh, you know, as you're doing, uh, looking back at all the years, the one thing you did realize, even though there was some playoff series like like James is talking about that were close, we always complain now about how we know the the season's a waste of time because we know who's going to win or who's going to be standing in the end. For the most part, outside of about three or four teams, it was going to be one of those three or four teams that was going to win the title in the end. I mean, if you're looking at just – Standings: The Celtics, Lakers, were, they were far and away nine, twelve games up by the end of the year. Other years, Sixers, maybe. I mean, you have you have other teams, kind of, but it was just a handful of teams that even then that had an ultimate chance of winning the title. In your mind, looking looking at it from just, I would, you know, before my, the season my, started. My only pushback on that was I just feel like the 
some of these, a lot of these teams were better. And I'm looking at these series. I remember these series very well. And some of these, there's seven game series, there's six game series that has a lot of exciting games in them. Um, the first mm-hmm. round was, this was a year. I, I, this is a year where they got kind of switched. The NBA switched it up where it was um, best out of five, and I love that in the first round. I, I think you're more. I think you, I just think you get better basketball um, when it's I best out of that. five. It gives the teams a chance. Um, so teams a chance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you screw up. You screw up one time, and then it, then it's over. Yep. I mean, hey, it, it, it could be over in a yep. flash, and then you get. I mean, Boston did beat the Lakers, but it was you know it was a it was four to three. Like. We, 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 well, what we would give for um, you know a game seven, we get we got one a couple of years ago with, with LeBron um, coming back. But let's be honest, if 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 um, Green keeps his head, if Draymond Green keeps his head in that series, do, do they come back from three one? Probably not. Like you know, it's probably it's probably. I mean, that, that was right. a big loss for them. They didn't have Durant. They didn't have Demarcus Cousins. They didn't have Rick Barry. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know they didn't, yeah. they didn't have um they didn't have Chris Mullen, um you know so uh anybody else, anybody else who the Warriors could add to to their <laughs> roster so um the teams were just better I mean I think if you I mean like I mean that Milwaukee Bucks team with Sidney Moncrief and Paul Pressey and you give you give those guys a three point shot now I mean come on I mean the, the way that if you tell them they could they could utilize the three the way they utilize the three, the team that the Phoenix team that James talks about, I mean that would, that would be, it'd be fun to see what happens um, if you go back and, and go go back in time too. So, um, but let's see here. What about what about this year? Um, the, the, what was the season? And I couldn't I, I looked it up quick, but I what was the season when the Celtics just lost like one game at home or something like that? Was was this the season? Because this is a team that was regarded as the best Celtic. Was it? Uh, no, I, I, was it? I think, I, that, think it was I think I thought it was eighty-six. Eighty-six, because that's the yes, team that everybody says the best Celtic team at all, all time. Yeah. Eighty-six. So we're yeah. so, so 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 we still have that. We still have that. But that, like we still have a little bit of time to go before we get there. But that was that was the, that was a tremendous year. I mean, dominant year. And we also see this, this is where the you know the twin towers that was in Houston. They drafted Ralph Sam or uh, Ralph Sampson, so you see, you see the first part of that is coming, and Sampson and Elijah Wan was just on his way um, to Houston um, later on. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens yeah. there. There's one thing about the '84 Finals, um, and I talk about it a lot, and, and that's um, Game Two. The Celtics won 124 to 121. Um, and it was one of the greatest defensive basketball games I ever saw. And, and when, you, when you talk about 124 versus 121, and yes, it was an overtime game, there was just some defensive plays uh, by Michael Cooper and, and and Kevin McHale and just these clutch defensive plays. And, like, you, you had to be on to score that many points, obviously. But when, when I talk to a lot of the young kids at work, we talk about the NBA nowadays. I tell them, like, yeah, no, 124 to 121 was the greatest defensive game I've ever seen play, just the play they came up with. And, and that's, like, one of the big changes in the NBA. And I think that's what makes the 80s so great is you had these high-scoring games, but you had some incredible defense being played. Yeah, no question. No question about it. I mean, you could – I mean, Cooper was Cooper was very – he'd fit in as far as, like, those interchangeable guards where, where you could always switch a pick-and-roll. And 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 we'll talk about a pick and roll later on, where a guy called the cops on somebody for doing a pick and roll. But we'll talk about that a little bit later in our, in our, in our, in our miscellaneous um, part of the show. But I mean, 
he he would fit in perfectly. He was a tremendous player. Um, very athletic. To him and Byron, him and Byron Scott were were, were were really that were really that good as far as as far as defending 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 the basket there as well. So this was this was the big year to me as far as is eighty four eighty five because you had the Lakers winning the championship, and this was where an MVP was. Um, Larry Bird won the MVP, and the Rookie of the Year was a guy named Michael Jordan. I'm, I'm sure you heard of him. So you had the introduction of the Jordan era coming into coming into basketball, and then you have Magic. They used to call him Tragic Johnson here, and then he but he was able to go ahead and win, um, win the NBA final against Boston, and and that was that was very that was meaningful for them. They they desperately needed to win that championship. Um, the Lakers um, over the Boston Celtics. There, Mike. That was a, a huge. Which is it's it's funny to me. Usually, we now if somebody wins a title, and and actually was the biggest reason why their team wins a title, you would not still hold it over their heads as if they don't have a title. So it's strange that he was getting hammered so much. Um, at the time, and I, I actually I wonder going back, you know, again this is still I was I watching the the NBA, but still still very young, so didn't have really a good understanding necessarily of it. But um, why he was taking so much criticism would be something, that, and maybe it came from from uh, Westfall being, you know, getting ousted and him being the reason. I'd imagine that had something to do with it. But um, this was like a clash of the titans, you know, so. Um, I can imagine at the time just the intensity of the rivalry, not just the past, but the idea that you're, you're getting Magic and Bird again, the physicality of this uh, of the series, just the the two stars, obviously more stars in the game, but the two main stars going head to head again, just a ton of drama, and it's it's pretty much what you wanted to see. I, not if you're you know I, I hated seeing it because I, I, I was a Celtic hater at the time. Um, but just it's what you wanted to see. It was it was uh, the the best thing for the league at the time as well. I mean, it's funny how things just kind of turn out the the way that uh, I mean, it was easily the best thing for the NBA um, going forward that these two were were going to face each other as much as possible. So um, you know, just it's totally a memorable series. Um, magic again coming out the star. So I mean, it's just. This, it's just amazing stuff. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's, the, that's my all-time favorite Laker team was the was the '85 team. It's the best Laker team I've ever seen. Um, you know, and and the most memorable thing about that season is you know Kareem at 38 winning the NBA Finals MVP, and then finally, and, and it's a big deal. And it's actually on, on the 30 for 30 documentary, like the fact that they were able to capture him smiling in the Boston Garden. Like Kareem never smiled on the court. He never over-celebrated on the court. And when he got that, when they, when they basically put game seven away, just watching the expression of pure joy on Kareem's face was something you'd never seen. And, and even to this day, it still gives me goosebumps thinking about it. But, um, yeah, that, that's, my, that's my all-time favorite Laker team. They, they were just the best. Love that team. Uh, Worthy, Jamal Wilkes, um, Kurt Rambis, uh, Bob McAdoo was with the team. You have Cream, obviously, Michael Cooper. Just just a really good team. Um, and they actually – they were technically one game behind the Celtics in the overall standings for the season, and that's why game seven was in Boston. But 
um, that was a really fun finals to watch. Like every game was so close and, and to come down that way, it, it, it was just great. Yeah. And the Lakers in that, um, Lakers in that Western conference final beat Alex English and the Denver, Denver Nuggets with the, you know, remember the, remember the cool jersey with the little mountains on the front of them? Yeah. Um, that was, yeah. that was, that was, that was the Alex English, um, Denver Nuggets who, um, who, who, the Lakers beat to get to the get to the finals there, and I do remember that. I mean, I mean, Magic was. I mean, uh, this was this was a big moment for Magic in that uh, in that in that series. And looking back at it, it was you know it was just he put a stamp on it. You know, I mean, he put a stamp on it. And, he, and if they lost this, if they lost that series, that would have been it would have been it would have been crazy if they lost that series. So for for just for his greatness. At at, at the time it was just him and it was just him and Bird and you know and there and there was a lot of let's I mean I don't talk about race too much but there was a big and there and you see the 30 for 30 there was a big racial issue with these two teams like you know they it was city of Boston the city of LA they couldn't be too different they they couldn't be more different there was that you know there was a lot of different things going on in the city at that time um you know so you know it was important for the Lakers to get that done. I know Riley. I know Riley and uh, and company wanted to get that done, and they were able to do that. Boston beat um, the 76ers four games to one in the, in the conference finals. A 58 win team, Sixer, 68 uh, 58 yeah. uh, win team with Barkley added, and then you had the Bucks winning 59, uh, going 36 and five at home. I mean, just. And I know you'll probably get into more of the Bucks teams, but man, I mean, just a a, a lot of quality play. Um, and if you know, going back to Terry Cummings, I mean, just looking at the All NBA team, that uh, Bucks, Sixers, Celtics, ton of talent. And actually, if you look back, the Celtics, the Celtics handled the Sixers pretty four-one. Uh, it wasn't that uh, that a dramatic that dramatic a series. So just um, uh, just amazing talent. I can't believe. The, the top of the division, just the teams that literally the Bucks won nothing, and they just won 55, 60 wins, uh, for, you know, every year past maybe 82, and, uh, and nothing to show for it. It's just amazing. Yeah, uh, and that was, I mean, that was the that was the Sam Bowie year, right? Sam Bowie was number one pick in that draft. Sam, Sam Bowie, yeah, number one pick. Yeah. So you know, you had that, yeah, that as well. So. That was something that you had to, you had to look back at. The, um, the world famous Knicks tank, after winning 43 <laughs> games a year before, coming back with 24. So that was, you know, the famous, you know, will we go into the off season and and the lottery and somehow the Knicks, who didn't have the best chance to win the lottery, ended up winning it and, and getting Patrick Ewing and, and how much that changed the landscape of the NBA. No question about it. I just want to take a quick peek at a quick peek at the um, the eighty four draft here, really quickly, because I, I love looking back at old drafts. Uh, let's see here. So we got yes, yeah, so we have so we so we have Akeem, Bowie, Akeem Jordan, one, that's right. um, Akeem number one, Bowie, um, Sam Bowie, um, Jordan, Sam Perkins. And then you had uh, Charles Barkley. It just it was just funny because it seemed like Barkley loses lost to Jordan all the time anyway. And then even even <laughs> I'm just, even even for Rookie of the Year, Mike beat him out and for the Rookie of the Year. I mean in, in that season with that as well. So but but Barkley was a great player though, no question, no question about it. Um, notables in that draft. Um, 
you remember Melvin Turpin and how much weight he put on after he got to the NBA? Uh, no, Turpin, Turpin on the number. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he got traded to Cleveland and then he just like blew up over the next like you know, and then he actually became a drug casualty um eventually with with cocaine, but he like was this really great college player and then he just blew up and I guess he started he you know, early part of his money I guess he spent on food. Um yeah. and just became a different player. Uh, there was a guy who drafted uh, drafted by the Kings in on on the ninth pick of this draft from Providence College. I felt like he had the biggest hands I've ever seen in my life because he could pound the basketball. It, him pounding the basketball is like me holding a grape. Um, that was Otis Thorpe. Like Otis Thorpe was just like his when he he'd pound the you could put the, you put the ball in Otis Thorpe's hand in the post and he'd palm it like it was like like it was a grape. It was unbelievable how big his hands were and he was in this draft as well and. Everybody and their grandmother passed up on, uh, or at least, you know, at least, I wouldn't say everybody, but um, but between the Bar- from Barkley to Terrence Stansberry, everybody passed on um, John Stockton, who was in this draft um, at number 16. So John Stockton, of course, we all know how how well he was, uh, how good he was um, in the in the NBA, tremendous point guard, uh, one of the best point guards, if not the best point guard of all time, um, which was just tremendous. They had Jerome Kersey in the third round, in the second round in that draft as well. Um, boy, the M- NBA... Yeah, that's I mean, what NBA, shocked me, how low he went. Yeah, I mean, it's got Jerome Kersey was a solid... Jerome Kersey was a solid player. Um, the draft used to be very big. I mean, it used to be a lot of a lot of rounds, and not anymore, but Carlisle... Um, when, uh, was to, went to the Celtics in this draft as well. So, yeah, it, 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 interesting looking back and see what decisions were made uh, when the clock was ticking in the NBA in the NBA draft. Uh, going now to let's see the eighty five eighty six. Patrick Ewing amazingly ended up on the New York Knicks. I'm not sure how that happened, um, but according to David Stern, it happened all. Legally, it never happened anywhere, any anywhere else. It, it, it didn't happen with any any issues with the ping pong balls or whatever. But um, he was the rookie of the year, Larry Bird MVP. Well, uh, back then, yet it again, it wasn't ping pong balls. It was. Uh, it was. I know. I know. Everything was put into a, a into cardboard, into an envelope, and it was you know the, the team logos, and they they pulled the logos out and put them up in order, and and somehow you know. The rumor was that they, they had bent the corner of the Knicks card so that, you know, David Stern would, would know to pick that one in and put it first. Yeah, I, I just can't. It's I not can't, a bad I idea. Can't. It's not a bad, it's not a bad <laughs> idea if you're him. You put, you put the biggest star coming out of college in the biggest city in the world. It's not a bad idea from a marketing standpoint. So I, we, I we, 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 we can obviously say it was corrupt potentially, but it might have been smart. Also, it didn't win them anything, but it certainly it certainly it made worked, the Knicks right? relevant. It, it made the Knicks relevant for for over ten years. They're not relevant now, so you know it worked for them. I think I mean, it worked. They, they, they got they got all the rings to show for it. Um, in in this <laughs> relevant, relevant. I just said relevant. relevant. That's all I said. Do you do you, do you remember? Um, I remember when one of the biggest contracts. I remember when Nolan Ryan signed that. Was Nolan Ryan the first player to make a million dollars? Somebody was the first player to make a million dollars. No, Pete Rose. Pete Rose, Pete Rose was the first million dollar player. First million yeah. dollar player. So I remember, I think Nolan Ryan signed a, sound, um, signed a huge contract, and I was like, 
you know, I told him, I remember speaking to my dad saying, wow, I thought, somebody's paying him that much money? That's, I mean, he's making that much money? That's crazy. And my father was like, hey, you know, if somebody can, here's the thing. The guy who can afford to pay him that money is the guy who really has money. So that's why he kind of broke it down to broke it down to me to me really quick when I was when I was young. But remember the contract that John Contact got from the that was the first yeah. crazy contract that yeah. Uh, yeah. NBA player got, and he was in this draft. And it was just, I just remember him just just I can't believe they that some a team that, that the Hawks gave gave yeah. him that money. He was just not that good. And he's also taken John Contact and Joe Klein. And Xavier McDaniel and Benoit Benjamin and Wayman Tisdale, all above Chris Mullen and Detlef Shrimp. That's crazy. I remember the contact. I, re- I remember the contact deal, and I, even as a kid, I said, "Really?" <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe. It. I was like, "Thank God it's not the Sixers." <laughs> That's the first thing I remember thinking. Wow. I mean, that's just getting paid for being big. That's all that was, but uh, I totally remember that. It's one of the worst. It's the, the probably the one, the most memorable bad first bad contract in the NBA that I can remember. So this is a pretty good draft here because you get in, in the first round. You get in, you get and Wayman Tizzo was a solid player. Um, you have um, Ewing, Xavier McDaniel, solid player. Um, Chris Mullen, that Love Xavier McDaniel. I love that little shrimp. I don't know why. I just did. I love him. I, I used to love that guy. Um, he was he, he was in this first round. Carl Malone went thirteenth in this in this um in this round. Uh, after Charles Joe Oakley. Du- after Charles Oakley, Joe Dumars went eighteenth in this draft. Sam Vincent in this draft. Uh, Terry Porter, one of the most underrated um, um point guards in the NBA, um, went in this draft as well. You had um AC Green, famously famous for a lot of different things. Um, <laughs> he's not. He he went in his dress <laughs> as well. Uh, let's see what else we got in here. Uh, any notable guys? Any guys who let's see? I think that's pretty hot. Rod Williams went in his draft in the second round. Big East so. dominated his draft. Yeah, they did. Big Big East dominated a lot of drafts. Um, Sam Big Mitchell. Yeah, Sam, Sam Mitchell in this draft. But let's flip over to the season itself now. We rookie, we know about the rookie of the year. We know about Boston and um and and winning the championship and and um and Larry Bird winning the MVP yet again. Um, this is Boston is sixty seven and fifteen now. So this is this is a season where you know Boston is really, um, you know, they almost put the Lakers 52 and 20 to shame in this season because they actually were, it was amazing how good they were um, in this, um, in this year. They were just, they were just a dominant team. And this was a year where, you know, the Lakers didn't make it. The Lakers did not make the uh, NBA finals. This was Houston sneaking into the NBA finals yet again to, to face Boston and lose again to Boston. But Houston made their jump this time and it was twin towers who did it. Right, James? Yeah, they, they the, the Twin Towers were were new. The Lakers really couldn't shut them down. Um, you know, they had the incredible regular season. The Lakers they had a really good regular season, um, and then the playoffs like they just didn't seem like themselves. Um, they should have never won six games against the Dallas Mavericks. Um, Dallas won a couple games they they probably shouldn't have won. Lakers just didn't look themselves, and then um, they lost in five. The Rockets, which 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 was amazing, 
Um, I know there was some talk about some injuries with a couple of players. Magic wasn't at his best. It, it was just a really awkward postseason for the Lakers that year, um, especially what they, after what they did during, during the regular season. Mike, this was the year where I think Boston was looking for revenge. They were looking for revenge against the Lakers. Um, they wanted that revenge against the Lakers. And then I think it was – I remember watching the 30 for 30 um, documentary. It was almost just anticlimactic for them to face Houston because, 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 Boston, because Boston wasn't there. Of course, you'll take the championship because, you know, you, you, you won't throw away a championship. But for, for the Celtics, they were looking for the Lakers. They, they, were, they had purple blood in their eyes, and they, and they, and they weren't able to get it. I think it actually uh it's funny it actually has a little bit of a negative to the uh to the uh, to the uh, I know the team is considered uh, and I actually wonder where James puts this team if he if he put the 83 Sixers in the top 3 I wonder where he puts this team but um as a say a top 5 team of all time you do you discredit the team because of who they played because the, obviously the the Rockets were young they have the, obviously the, the the two centers but Nobody expected them to get there and get through the Lakers. So, was it a little bit just expected? The Celtics were going to have an easy time with the late with, with the Rockets. Um, either way, you, you have to you have to play and you have to beat who's there. So, I don't fault them for it, but I, I think you're right in that from a regret standpoint, they couldn't do anything. So, I don't know if it's a regret, but you you look back and you say, I, I wish we could have handled the Lakers because of what previously happened the year before. And uh, so I, I'm with you. I think that that probably is something that was a little bit disappointing for them. But you have to you have to beat who's there. You have to beat who's there. I would actually note this is the one of the times the Bucks made the actual conference finals. Uh, they ended up beating the Sixers in the uh, uh, in the conference semifinals and get to the Celtics and the Celtics <laughs> swept them away really quickly. So, uh, but a Bucks team, you know, getting to the conference final with an option, you know, opportunity. Uh, to, to move on also. So, but yeah, I, I consider the Celtics team probably the best team when I, I, I maybe up until the last few years, the best team maybe until the Bulls uh, that I had seen. Just talent and just the front line. I mean, just didn't have any weaknesses. They constantly were beating the Sixers. Um, there's just there were there were no holes in that team for anybody to get through. So, um, and this was team. and and was this the end of the. The Dr. J error and this loss to the to Milwaukee. Yeah, was that yeah. was this was this a yeah. this was it right? I, I, this was it. I think for Dr. it was. I think Dr. J played maybe one more year. I, I think he he played one more season. I yeah. I'm not sure on that. Uh, yeah, this, this is a very good Celtics team. Um, they're definitely a top five team for me, um, only because of the Celtics. They don't get any higher. Um, <laughs> it was an anti. It was an anti-climatic climatic finals because um, what you thought it was going to be the Lakers and the Celtics in in the finals. Um, you know, the amazing thing about this season is, is Bill Walton, the return of Bill Walton. Um, he joined the Celtics that year. Um, you know, I remember being very young when I first kind of started following basketball, watching Bill Walton play with Portland. And I remember he signed a big contract with, at the time, the San Diego Clippers um, when, when Portland gave up on him. And he made the cover of Sports Illustrated in his Clippers uniform after signing the contract. And then, you know, just the injuries and, and everything that happened to him in his career uh, for him to come back. And, and you think about it, like, the whole landscape of the NBA and, and the future of the NBA really changes because the Celtics drafted Len Bias after the season. And, and you, it, there's always that what would have happened, you know, if Len Bias didn't pass away. 
uh, where would the Celtics rank going forward from that point on? Yeah, I mean, that was point. great point. That was, I mean, I mean, I can honestly tell you that was the year. I mean, like there isn't for me that hit home for me because it was more of not that I ever entertained doing drugs, but like for me that was just like oh. That stuff, I mean, that that stuff is no joke. Like, I mean, in, in my in my mind as a young man, like I just remember that Len Bias passing away, and that was just like he was the next one. I mean, that would have been the Celtics. Boston probably would have twenty championships. Right now they're right now they're at seventeen, but Boston would have. Oh, I think Boston would be at twenty overall. If probably they had would have. Bias. Probably would have prolonged Larry Bird's career. If you think about yeah. all the extra time he had to play after that, um, but yeah, that that was that was like one of those. There's there's two, actually no, there's there's three like sports related deaths in in the from my youth. You know, Thurman Munson's obviously the most impactful one that that I remember as a kid, and then the second was uh, Pelly Lindbergh, who was a goalie for the Flyers, um, who died in a car accident. But the Len Bias one, like just remember waking up and sports center being on the next day. And, you know, it's not even a week after the draft and how that really hit, like, um, you know, a, you never know when you're going to go and stuff like that, but just that much talent to like really throw it away. But that was, you know, it was the culture of the eighties back then, you, you know, you started getting money and it was the cool designer drug, but that was really the first, you know, it's also, Really, a year—it's the year when when crack really started to to break in the '80s. Not that it broke or anything like that, and it's probably the long term to use. But that's really when that whole drug thing like really came together with crack, and then really started to talk about you know fighting celebrities talking about not doing drugs, and a lot of it came out of the out of the lead bias death. Yeah, that was. That was a real shock. I'll never forget that broadcast. That was I was really shocking to see Len Bias um, pass away. Um, in that draft, the number one pick was you might know him for more. You might know him more for um, broadcasting NASCAR than actual NBA basketball. But Brad Doherty was the number one um, pick in that draft. Um, you also have um, Chris Washburn, uh, who kind of you know who, who, who kind of washed out in, in the NBA. No pun intended. Um, Chuck Person, uh, you know Chuck Person. Yeah, you got a little Chuck person. He, he was the right when, when he dropped when he dropped twenty on you. You heard about it. Trust me. Um, Ron Harper, uh, a, a guy who was you know long arms, great defender, um, great defensive player. Brad Sellers. Um, you got um, Johnny Dawkins, John Sally. This is where the Pistons pick up their defensive catalyst, if you will. They took John Sally with the eleventh pick, and in the second round they took Dennis Rodman. Um, in the in the second round, so Rodman, you get Rodman there. Um, Mark Price, one of the uh, one of the best point guards in NBA history, was picked by Dallas. I did not realize he wasn't a Cavalier his whole life. I thought he was, I thought he was a Cavalier his whole life. So I didn't know that. Um, Nate McMillan, one of the most underrated um, guards. I loved I loved how the um, the SuperSonics used Nate McMillan. He was the big guard, and then it would allow um, Gary Payton to play the two guard. Um, some nights as well too to, to get some scoring. Kevin Duckworth, yeah, I'm sure you remember him. Um, Otis Smith, another guy. Um, David Wingate, um, and then the, to round out that second round was um, another a guy who we know and love is Jeff Jeff Hornacek. Um, Jeff Hornacek, one of the best yeah. shooting guards. 
amazing that I mean he's he was he was consistent as heck, you know. He was a consistent really good player um for the Utah yeah, Rams for a long period of time. That, that draft that draft has guys like I mean you're you're like Pearl Washington. I know they he wasn't a great pro, but um very popular popular I mean even Del Curry, you know, now he's popular yeah, I guess. Steph Curry's more, dad. more pop more popular <laughs> now. More popular now than then. But uh John Hot Rod Williams, I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of names in this draft. Funny, you can look back and uh this one right up and down, first, second round, a lot of names. A lot of names you know. What am I what am I all my what am I top five favorite basketball players ever was drafted in the third round um, by the Portland Trail Blazers, and, and that would be Drazen Petrovic. Wow. Drazen Petrovic. That's right. He was something else. He was a trim. He was a – he was magical. I mean, he was really – he was something else. That guy, I, I love watching yeah. him play. He was something else. He was something else. They had that there as well. Uh, and then, actually, like I said, it's more of like a kind of an anticlimactic situation for the Celtics here. So – um, they beat they they won a championship of course, but they did beat Houston and not the Lakers. So we're gonna go to the rubber match basically for for you know for for these two teams here, um, where where Boston where Boston has to face. Um, let's see here. Let me go back here. Oh yeah, Boston. And we got Boston and L.A. again. Chuck Person is the Rookie of the Year. Matt Johnson is the MVP. Um, and this is where the Lakers, you know, become the team of the decade, right? They they beat the Celtics here. Um, they have the best record in, in, in basketball, as you would expect. They kind of rebound from that Houston loss um, and just, you know, and, and, beat the, and beat the Celtics uh, and beat the Celtics four games to two in the NBA Finals. And this is also the year where – we talked about Sally. We talked about Rodman. This is the year where the bad boys enter the building of the NBA right here, right? Um, they, be, they they go all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, they lo- and, and then that's crazy because this is when the, the Pistons used to play in the in the Superdome. I mean, I remember, I remember watching playoff games yeah. in the Superdome. That's, that, is, that's, that is unbelievable that they used to play NBA basketball games. Um, playoff games in the Superdome, but but the Pistons, the Pistons used to used to play playoff games there, and I, I do remember that series very well. Where they just, I mean, that was a great series between them and Boston. But you could see the Celtics, you see the Pistons coming. This is where you know, this, this is where Isaiah Thomas threw the ball away, right? This is where you know yeah. the, the steal, the steal the bird. The um, um, Dennis Johnson um, lays it in, and and Boston wins. Um, and the Pistons easily. I mean, let's, let's, they've had some heartbreaking. That team was probably one of the most mentally tough teams I've ever seen in my entire life because the Pistons could have could have easily in this decade, in this decade of Bird, decade of um, a Magic, could have easily gotten three champions or four championships out of it um, here. But th- th- their stepping stone loss was to Boston here in seven games. But then again, and then you have Boston, and you have Celtics, Celtics losing to the Lakers. In six games, as the Lakers kind of just you know win the yeah win the Lakers win the one that matters that year. yeah and and then um, and Boston going seven against Detroit you know I I think you know the one thing that really held Detroit back in the eighties you know in in that time period that that eighty four to eighty seven was Adrian Dantley and and they didn't change until until they traded Adrian Dantley away they just became a different team after that there was a power struggle. 
he was a veteran and, and he just did not get along with Isaiah Thomas and he didn't want Isaiah Thomas to have the ball more than him and um, a lot of butting heads and you know when it came down to it you know Chuck wanted wanted Isaiah Thomas and and that's you know that's he made the right choice on that one you know and, and they got rid of Dantley and that the whole team really changed with that but that Laker team was a, was a dominant you know they dominated through there they they weren't losing to the Celtics that year this was really the year that they took you know it became Magic's team you know before the season. Pat Riley sat him down and was like, yeah, it's going to be your team this year. You're going to run the offense. It's going through you. Um, you know, and, and they had to sit down with Kareem, and Kareem was ready to, to turn the team over to him. Um, kind of, you know, when you look at some of the playoff series, kind of uneventful. Boston just steamrolled through Chicago. They went seven games with Milwaukee, and I think that's what did Boston in the finals, was seven games against Milwaukee and seven hard games against the Pistons. Yeah, I was also, I was just going to mention that to Mike. I think that was what destroyed them in the NBA Finals was you know having to go back to back seven games. And I think even even that, I think them, I think this team having to chase Michael Jordan in the first round. I mean, this was Michael Jordan's you know yep. kind of his 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 deal in the first round too. The chasing him around was not was not easy in this series. My Jordan was a pain in the neck that first year um, in his first round series against against. Uh, against Bird and against Bird and the Celtics. No, absolutely. And again, this is kind of like, um, you know, I, I still go back to, I mean, it's, uh, um, you know, Bird steals the ball, still, I think, probably lodging in everybody, every, <laughs> into everybody's head. What kind of criticism would Isaiah Thomas get today with all the radio oh. talk, all the television talk, making that pass at that time? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's one of those things where, at, in this time, in this time, if, if that happened now, it, it would be li- it, that's like um, it's a lot worse than what J.R. Smith did. And think about just the abuse that would have come out. I don't know if a, I don't know if a player could recover from making a mistake like that now. It's almost like a Bill Buckner kind of a mistake at that po- at that time of the game. I think if it happened now, we would look at Isaiah Thomas differently potentially differently. Um, and we would definitely look at him differently now, even if he didn't go on to win titles. I mean, think about if they didn't win, if that was their moment or their time, you would look at Isaiah Thomas quite differently um, than we do now. No question yeah, about that. Yeah, but Isaiah team. Thomas was such a tough player. And, and he, he didn't really let it impact him. Um, you know, the, the biggest the biggest impact of, of him was when he, when he made the comment about Larry Bird just – just being an average player if he wasn't white, you know, and he had to, had to live that down with a couple of press conferences too. So. Yeah. Um, and, and in that first round bull series, uh, bulls, that was the 63 game. That was, that was the 63 series. Yeah. Correct. Where Jordan he, he was, he was, he, they just could not stop him. Jordan went nuts, and also it was um, it was you know a, a game where one of my favorite players played in that series, Sadell Threat. You can't, you can't. That's just a sports name. Sadell Threat was a sports name. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Pete Myers is on that team. Oh my goodness! Charles Oakley is on that team. Uh, John Paxson how easy, how, was on that how team. How easy would it be? How, how easy would it be able to, uh, would it be able to, to market to be able to read now? Just get behind the line just and, just, and just, just, just throw them up. <laughs> Nike's probably waiting for a guy um, <laughs> with that name. 
Oh my gosh. Jesus. The other <laughs> the other name that pops out to me this year when you, when you look at it is Tom Chambers. Tom Chambers is one of those players that had like a three or four flash, you know, flash in the pan seasons where he's like one of the top players in the league. Um, all-star game MVP when he's with the Sonics, you know, um, and then just kind of faded out after getting traded away from the Sonics. But he was, he was just one of those players who, when you see his name, like, Oh yeah, Tom Chambers, he was great. And he also had the, one of the one of the craziest rising dunks I've ever seen in my life, where he's still rising and dunking over everybody. Like like his knee almost <laughs> hit the rim. Like I can't. It's unbelievable. That dunk. That dunk. That dunk and the and the Kevin Johnson dunk. I think on on Akeem was absolutely the yeah. two of my ones. My, my, my yeah. Like there are dunks that dunks that are three point plays and dunks that are just ridiculously on somebody. Like you're hanging off their shoulder are are my favorite dunks. And 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 Pippin Pippin walking over Ewing was like that. I mean, there's certain ones that you remember. Yeah, Pippin would have Pippin wouldn't have walked over me. I I, I just put it that way. I, Ewing <laughs> Ewing 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 is Ewing to me was soft on that play. You 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 cannot allow somebody to do that to, to you. You just can't. You just can't. You gotta you know come on. And speaking speaking from Draymond Green of. <laughs> Speaking from one fellow Jamaican to another to, to another Jamaican, you can't you can't you can't um, allow that to take place, Patrick. Come on, you gotta take care of that. You gotta handle your business, Patrick. Come on. But um, <laughs> you know, the, we jumped into the nineties. Was... We jumped into the nineties. Sorry about that. Yeah. I just, uh, <laughs> yeah. In my head. We um, uh, thank you for joining us for our podumentary on the eighties on eighties basketball here. Um. We have an all-star break in Major League Baseball, so it's probably a good time to go do it. If we don't finish the whole thing, because uh, there is some stuff that I want to talk about in miscellaneous today, uh, but we will continue it next week because uh, if we don't finish a decade. But uh, right now we're in, what well, we're in the eighty-six, eighty-seven season here now. So this is, uh, this is, uh, this is the, the Lakers giving the stamp of a, this is the stamp of them saying this is their team in a decade. This is also the, where the the teams from. The middle of the country, from Detroit, from Chicago, start to come. Um, Cleveland starts to become good. Like all these teams start to become good, um, and and they're not they're typical your typical ball clubs. Like you know Boston is Boston can't handle it. We go to the go to the next season, um, and this is where you know the the Pistons finally get through, and the Pistons finally make the NBA Finals here. And and they have to face the Lakers, and that was just a. I mean, and you got Isaiah Thomas playing on. You know, probably one of the toughest things I've ever seen. Like you know, you got Paul Pierce, um, you know, spraining an ankle coming off the court in a wheelchair. <laughs> then you got Isaiah <laughs> Thomas, and, and then you got Isaiah Thomas like playing on one foot, you know, guarding people and um and, and putting up shots left and right. I, I just I, he, he was just tremendous, um, in that. In that year, the Lakers win the championship. They beat the um, they beat the Pistons here, um, four games to three, and and just what was a tremendous four um, great, four great game. Um, I, I, I was a great final, great seven game series. I what I do what I remember about um, this year was the image of the Pistons finally getting to the hump, over the hump, and finally beating the Celtics and, and beating them in six games. And I remember specifically Kevin McHale. And this is where I got a lot of respect for Kevin McHale. He walked over to Isaiah Thomas and gave him a handshake. And he pulled him in. I believe 
if my memory serves me correctly, Isaiah said that he told him to don't just be happy to be there, go and beat the Lakers. And to me, that was really kind of cool to see that because you because like let's be honest, going through the paint against Rodman, against Sally, against Bill Lambeer, against Rick Mahorn, against the against, against that Piston team was was not anything easy to do. Um, they were one of the best defensive teams in the history of, of, of basketball. I mean, they were just phenomenal. No, I mean, they were they were physical as heck, but it was difficult to just get through that the, the teeth of that defense. I mean, just look at the the, the two guards who were on top of their defense. They had um, Isaiah Thomas, and they also have Joe Dumars, who was probably one of the most underrated two guards in the history of NBA basketball. Mike, absolutely. I mean. Um, they they played, and there's no way. First of all, there's no way they could play like that now. But um, they'd all get kicked out of every game. Uh, but they played inside within the rules uh, as they were as they were in the 80s. <laughs> so they just they found you know the one thing that I would that I always thought about the Pistons was they had an identity about them. They, there was just a specific identity they had. You knew they were tough defensively. They actually transitioned from being an, a an offensive minded team early in the eighties with all the scores they had, even Isaiah Thomas kind of, um, even though we could score a ton kind of, uh, uh, tra- kind of transitioned himself to being more of a, a facilitator and, uh, and, and a guy who could score, but also, um, lead an offense. And that team turned in from, from an offensive team to a defensive team. And think about the personnel. You mentioned them all, but just guys who are long and athletic and aggressive and, uh, I mean, you didn't. I mean, they—they—they're the one team that you can say handled Michael Jordan, handled them, didn't stop them entirely, but they weren't afraid of him and they handled them. And it's—it's it's probably the one. As you look back, it's the one team that you said, "Yep, Jordan couldn't beat them," um, until he did. But that those the, the, that few years there, um, you know, they—they they were something to see. I mean, it, they were also very entertaining. That kind of an aggressive team. There was going to be a fight every night. I mean, it was uh, it was fun. James. Yeah, I mean those those piston teams they they irritated you. Um, Vinny Microwave Johnson coming off the bench, um, scoring a ton of points in a couple minutes. You know that, that's where he got the nickname Microwave. Um, you know Bill Lambeer is Bill Lambeer. Um, you know, he, he'd probably elbow his mom to get a rebound if he had to. So, you know, that, that, that's just what the Pistons were made up of. And, and it was kind of a changing of the NBA, and it kind of leads you into, you know, when you talk about the next decade, the 90s, where that real defense and hard basketball. And you look at the players in the previous couple of years who were drafted, you know, you talk about a Carl Malone, a physical Xavier McDaniel, and those types of players. Um, the other thing that stands out on that season is, the, the West was so bad, the Spurs made the playoffs as the number eight seed at 31 and 51. <laughs> That's just incredible. But there were some really, really bad teams in the West that year um, for that to happen. So, uh, but yeah, th- those, those Piston teams, um, they were aggravating. I didn't like them. Um, you know, I didn't actually like that that team until I saw the the Bad Boys documentary, 
and I'm not talking about Will Smith and, and Martin Lawrence. I'm, I'm talking about the actual bad boys from Detroit. Um, and just seeing how much love and respect they have for each other. And, it, you know, and then I did see the scene where, where Mikhail actually goes into to the locker room to give them kudos, you know, which you would never see nowadays unless the players are trying to work out a movie deal or, or, or whatever you're playing the next season going into the other, the other team's locker. So um, you also have the expansion that year with Charlotte, Miami, uh, Minnesota, and Orlando joining. So, you know, that's, that's our first real expansion right there in 10-plus years in the NBA. Yeah, the, that's when the watering down of the league um, began, in my mind. And it, it's it's frustrating because if you're a Suns fan, that you know, a Suns fan, a Suns fan, you guys went twenty eight and fifty four and just made and just missed the playoffs. I mean, that's you know, that's <laughs> yeah. tough. That's a that's a, that's a tough yeah. year. But um, well, you know, well, you, well, you go, you go, guys... uh, you go thirty one and fifty one, and you have David Robinson, you know, joining your team next year. <laughs> Yes. And, uh, would, would, you guys say that, would, you, would you say Bill Lambeer in our lifetime is the – try to think back to the 80s, the most hated, easily the most hated player that there's been in the league universally? Ooh. Um, yeah. Non-Celtic, yes. Non-Celtic, Non-Celtic yes. I, no, I, I think so because I think even I, – I think Laker fans hated Danny Ainge and, and we all hated ML Carr. But I don't think Nick fans hated ML Carr or Danny Age. But I think everyone disliked Bill Lambeer, no matter what what team you're in for. You did not like Bill Lambeer. Question about it. I know the Lakers won a championship. We know we know about that. And just this is when Jordan really, you know, got to be like Mike started because it was averaging 35 points a game, five assists, five. I mean, just he just five rebounds. He was just he was he was incredible. Um, Mark Jackson with a teardrop was the rookie of the year. Um, um, this season as well, so you had so, so you had that. Um, and this is kind of where you know that you, you added you added some other squads here, um, like you said, and this is where you had um, some other teams at, become um, become come come to the NBA. Uh, the next year, which is the final year of the decade in our podgementary of the nine the eighties NBA. We have is this is the year where this the Pistons the Pistons breakthrough the the, the you, they break up the the um the whole thing with Mad with the Celtics they they beat the Celtics they beat the Lakers and they are the king of the hill as far as as far as this goes and to me this is the kind of the and I know everybody has a different def, different definition of dynasty. And and I get it, and I, and I understand it, and I. But I think what the Pistons did this year, I just I just I'm a call. I, th- I think this is a mini dynasty for them, um, for them because this is where this is where you had to beat two of the greatest franchises in all of sports to get to the to get to the goal, and and you know they won it once, and they and they ended up having to do it again just to prove it. But they were a dominant team. Um, they were in sixty three and nineteen. I mean, they really dominated the league that year. And I, I give I got to give you know, Chuck Daly a lot of credit, James. Yeah, yeah. Chuck Daly really pulled that team together. Um, you know, you, you look at the playoffs. Detroit sweeps Boston. They sweep Milwaukee. They go six against Chicago. Um, Chicago's first round is the infamous Michael Jordan over Mark Price. Um, you know, in, in Cleveland for the clincher. 
Um, Chicago then knocks out the Knicks, who returned to the playoffs for the first time. Um, that's also the year when the Knicks get back to the playoffs. They sweep Philly in the first round, and Ewing goes running around the court with another player with a broom, um, which really uh, upset the Sixers for a couple of years after that. And then Detroit just crushes the Lakers in the finals four games to none. So you had, you had two teams who were juggernauting into the finals, and Detroit just, you know, it, it wasn't even that close at 4 nothing. Um, still not I, still not as dominant as the Sixers over the Lakers in 83, but, like, still very impressive. But, Mike, Mike, this was the year where, what was it, game one, where Magic had a, had the hamstring, so it kind of ruined the entire yep. series. Um, yeah. Because they, yeah. everybody's looking, for, everybody's looking forward to see this series, and then that's why I thought it was, that's why I thought it was very important for for the, um, the Pistons to come back the following year and win the championship. I thought it was that was that was for them, for them to go back to back. I thought that was huge for them because if they did it once and they Magic pulled up lame, you know, Laker fans could have said, hey, you know, whatever, who, yeah, you did that, but what does it matter? You know, our guy wasn't there. Our guy, our guy wasn't available, so that's why you won. They had to come back. Um and so you go ahead. So you so you think in that time period because we I, I think me and you we've talked about this before we have different I think definitions of of what we think maybe a dynasty is. You think there were three dynasties in that in that in that period of time? Those 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 three teams are were those three teams were that dominant. I mean they they were, what, what what the Pistons did from you. you... You can't ignore the Sixers in that decade. You just can't. No, 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 no. no I, but I, that's a dynasty. How, so you, you how many? How many, dynasty, how many did think, they get? Though I think you have to string to get. You have to string together more than two to get a dynasty, in my opinion. My no, opinion. Not in my. Well, I'm looking at the caliber of competition in my mind, and like that's and and like to see what they had to go through, the level, the, the actual level of of Hall of Fame talent they had to go through. When you're looking at the Pistons, and they only—I mean—they—they they have a couple of Hall of Famers, but the starting five of the Lakers is a Hall of, was a Hall of Fame team. The starting five of the Boston Celtics were were were, um, were Hall of Famers. They had Hall of Famers come off the bench on on those two teams, and to beat them with Isaiah Thomas and well, Mark Mark Aguirre was a solid player. Yeah, Mark Aguirre, Mark Aguirre, um, Joe Dumars, and Isaiah Thomas. I think that I, I think what they've done was I think what they what they what they've done in the back half of that decade. Was was to me was incredible. I mean, it was, I, I, I think it's under I think it's underappreciated how hard it was, and and they were holding back the greatest player in the history of the game in the process. Like, like yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it's just me. No, but I, 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 I don't want to like, downplay. Oh, I don't want to downplay what they did. Of course, to me, I, th- of course that I, I think dynasty is such I, a I, strong word though, and when you're talking about this sports history. There's only we, it's almost like when somebody makes the Hall of Fame. The I don't think two championships qualifies you, no matter who you beat. To me, I know in, in that era they're the you know a top team in that era, no question. Um, and to, and to, to go back to back obviously is incredibly difficult. But um, for me, it, the dynasty word is a, is a big one to throw out there. I don't. I, I think if they strung one more together, if they won the year before. If you three feet, it, it it changes the narrative for me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and, and like I said, they got they they got they got bit with some bad luck. I mean, Isaiah Thomas throws that ball away. We also have, um, yep. you know, um, the two the two players hit heads in the in in the Boston Garden where the, 
in the game where they're smoking the in, the in the game seven where they're beating the Celtics. Um, they were. I mean, I, I just I just feel like you know I just feel like they were an unappreciated team and they were very they were the first kind of the perimeter perimeter offensive team. They really weren't. They didn't have a guy who they could throw the ball in the post to to score points. They didn't have a Mikhail. They didn't have a James Worthy who was quick on the block and just trimming. They, they didn't have a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They were pretty much a jump shooting team um, throughout throughout that whole time. So. Um, they I, get I, discredited. I, I think you're right. They get discredited because of the way they played as well. Teams just, you know, they weren't well liked, so they do get they do get a hit for that, which is, you know, I, I think is wrong because they they just found their own individual style. But they do get yeah. penalized for that, in my opinion, also. I do have to say something too. Like they, there was a moment in an NFL football game where the Raiders were beating the hell out of the um, Miami Dolphins some on Monday Night Football. And I was in. I was one of the few games where Marcus Allen and Bo Jackson were both over 100 yards in the game, and they were just killing them. And it was cool to see this Pistons, that Pistons team, come to the sidelines of, of the Raiders, all dressed in black. That was kind of cool. I, I I do remember that very very fondly. <laughs> yeah. that, that's very cool. But um, that's it for that's it for right now for our podumentary. We're gonna um sum sum things up. Um, next time, next week, uh, and we'll talk about some more stuff about the '80s and, and kind of just, just kind of sum up the whole decade for you. Um, so listen, I, I've already filled out the filled out the paperwork to, for a podumentary, so don't even try it, anybody out there. Um, we'll be right back, take a quick break, and we'll do some miscellaneous stuff. I got some good stuff in there. We will see you in thirty seconds. Required listening with Amazon Music. Dad music again. The greatest guitarist of all time. Wait, who? Alexa, add this song to a new playlist. Sure, what's the new playlist name? Jack's intro to classic rock. Adding Stepping Stone by Jimi Hendrix to Jack's intro to classic rock playlist. Amazon Music, the simplest way to listen to the music you and soon he will love. New customers start your 30-day free trial at AmazonMusic.com. Renews automatically, cancel anytime. I'm from L.A. Dot, California A. Hot. They got shade. Let me take you around the way. Boy, I tell you, the best thing about this West Coast life is the All Star game is in the seventh inning, and it's only 741. (laughs) You just can't can't beat it. You can't beat it, baby. You can't beat it. Oh, boy. So let's go to miscellaneous now and. We do have some stuff going on, breaking news, according to Bleacher Report, um, and it's pretty much a done deal. Um, Ken Rodensall and all these other guys have said it. Manny Machado is now a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, Mike, you, let, let me know what you think, and then James, you can chime in right after that. Machado goes to L.A. I think it's a great fit. You know, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see just uh, all the details coming out. Um, from a Baltimore perspective, obviously they they can hopefully add some uh, add some young talent and try to restart. But um, I think this should definitely um, lock in the Dodgers as a team that is obviously a favorite again to win uh, to win the division. And obviously they're not that far off. They're I think two games back from the best record in the National League. So um, you know I I think if you're in the if you're in the West, if you're a Giants fan today, you're probably not happy. Um, it, because it was a need area as well, I, I think they're, you know, it should only help their offense. Um, they have some other issues, but um, I think the, this, for me, will solidify at least the Dodgers win the division. 
James? James? Sorry about that. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's still not completed. It's saying reports are it's going to happen um, unless it hits a last-minute snag. Um, it, it looks good for the Dodgers. You know, um, it's interesting. They're going to be giving up a lot of prospects. They have Seager, you know, who's out for the year. He, he's a really good, solid, young shortstop. So, you know, how this plays out, do you try to sign Machado in the offseason because Seager is a younger player? Do you, you talk about moving him to third? So there's a lot there. I, I think it solidifies the NL West for the Dodgers. Um, doesn't guarantee him much after that. Let's see how Kershaw responds and comes back. Yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll see. I, I, I can't say that it guarantees them the, guarantees them the division. I think uh, the, the the teams behind them are are pretty good as well. But this is this is this is this is a big this is a big boost to that to that lineup. There's no question about it. Um, you already have Matt Kemp having a, a really good year this year. Um, Muncie, the second baseman out of nowhere, has um, over 20 home runs. They seem to find um, even when they get hurt, they seem to find piece, pieces here and there. So I got to give them a lot of credit for that. Um, but and and they are they are they're they're in desperation mode. They have to they have to win a championship one of these years. And, and National League could not be easier. I mean, no disrespect to these other teams in this division in, in this league, but the National League could not be any easier. This should be a guaranteed World Series visit by the Los Angeles Dodgers. No question about it. Guaranteed. Uh, I don't know about guaranteed, but they're a lot better. To, they're a lot better adding Machado than they than they were not adding Machado. So uh, one of the you know they hey, should be. He's a can't miss player. Four, he's a can't miss player. Four four four. Let's go four four four. <laughs> four four four. <laughs> best team in baseball now. Best team. Best team in baseball now since they added Machado. No question about it. Um, on paper. On paper. Steve Heim, Steve Heim, the general manager of the football's Arizona Cardinals, got slapped with a DUI and a five-game suspension. $200,000 is the fine. To me, I am – I look at DUI as a loss of maybe your your life or somebody else's. So to me, he's not a player. So I think that he should lose an entire year, including a a NFL draft. Um, that's what should be the real crime here, um, the, the real um, penalty here. I think that it's silly to, for me to, to have a GM not be not be around for five games. What sense does that make? He doesn't. I mean, the, the GM's job right now is pretty much over right now. I mean, <laughs> what would you say, James? Yeah. It's- it's it's one of those just odd news stories. Um, and again, the player, what, what's five games going to do for a general manager? Um, yeah, the draft. It's a funny, it's a funny punishment. It's a funny punishment. Take away a draft. I mean, that's the only. That's where they make their big money. Take away a draft. That that, that that's absolutely stupid. Um, so what are they going to do without Steve? What are they going to do without Steve Time? Oh, for five games? Oh my God! I know what they're gonna do. Let's go over the schedule. Let's figure out. Let's figure out how many games they might lose during his during during the time that he's out. <laughs> oh my God! This team is just. I mean, this league. This league does not know how to get. I I think 
I think your son might could 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 could, could give out better punishment than <laughs> what is than the NFL. Oh my god, unbelievable! So we all know about the pick and roll, right? Pick and roll, pick and roll. Um, at some point, we've all we we've either been the person who called the pick and roll or had to play defense to get the pick and roll. Um, so some guy, and I got this off of Twitter from our good friend James from the great state of um, CT. A guy called the cops on somebody for setting a screen too hard. <laughs> yeah. Like, this actually yeah. can take place. There is pictures of this happening. So, to me, I think you have... This comes off of um, a woman called um, a cop on a little girl who was selling water on the, yeah, on the corner on a um, you have um, women. Um, this other lady called cops on a, a family who was entering a pool, asking for identification yep. to enter a, 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 a town pool. I think at some point the police and I and I think I, mean, I know Mike and I have family who are who are who work in law enforcement. They have real emergencies <laughs> to actually take care of. <laughs> and I think if you call them for something like this, I do think that there should be a penalty for the person who's called. Who who called? Who who made this phone call? I don't know, but I don't know what you I don't know what you guys think about that. That that was obviously somebody under the age of thirty. I'm just I'm gonna guess it's somebody because they obviously didn't watch '80s basketball. For one, they weren't Pistons fans, that's for sure. Um, you know, it's funny. I just it's, it's hilarious. How about how about trying to describe that to the police officer? I want him arrested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that came across. I, I saw that and I had added chart with Dwayne and it, it's just it, it's ridiculous and then, and then when you read the actual story like witnesses are saying this guy pushed the other guy the guy who called the police pushed the other guy first when he was driving to the basket and the guy just came back and hit him with a hard pick you know so <laughs> you know the, the person who actually committed the foul called the police <laughs> the other guy had you know his pick was fine um it's it's our it's our day and age it's embarrassing um LA Fitness has had the police called recently to a lot of their locations across the U.S. for stupid reasons. I, I feel bad for LA Fitness employees um, with the type of press they're getting and for, and for the reasons these are, are coming to LA Fitness clubs. Um, you know, no huh. harm, no foul. It's it's just crazy, like that you would actually call the police during a, a pickup basketball game. But, like is this part of is this part of the fact that maybe a little bit of a bigger issue? This is probably beyond our show, but the idea that folks in general we don't know how to talk or deal with each other anymore. That it's easy, instead of talking something out or trying to figure it out, figure out some type of conflict, we want to call someone else because we don't know how to do it ourselves. It, it, it seems like a bigger problem than uh, than maybe we want to take on here in our show. But yeah, um, yeah well, we'll we'll stick to. The 80s basketball and half the Pistons would be in court right now if they were LA fitness members. No, it's yeah. it's funny because like the only thing only thing that only thing that would have made this funnier is if it was Bill um it was Bill um, Lambier's son who who made the phone call. Um, that would only thing be funnier. Um, Tony Clark, Tony Clark, who is a former major leaguer and the head of the Players Association. Said that the DH is gaining momentum. The momentum is coming. The DH is coming to the National League, the last league on the earth that has that that, that doesn't have a DH. It's going to be it's going to invade. 
is going to invade AT&T Park and all this other stuff like that. So thoughts on, James, I'll let you go first. Thoughts on the DH um, coming to the uh, National League? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to happen. I mean, yeah, technically there is a National League and, and there's an American League. Um, but they're they're just going to basically be one league. I mean, you have to have that, that whole uniform you know, where everyone's playing by the same rule. So, so there's no real advantages for one team over the other, especially when it comes to like a seven game series. If you have four games, you know, in the American league park or in the national league park and, and you have batters haven't or pitchers haven't swung a bat all year. Um, you know, the, the game has changed so much interleague play. I think the most amazing thing, um, I was looking into all-star game stuff the other day and I wanted to see how many times Don Mattingly batted against Dwight Gooden. And it turns out that, like, Don Mattingly never batted against Dwight Gooden, which is just amazing. He never faced him in an all-star game. It was obviously before injury play, and he actually never faced him in a, in, a, in a preseason game. They tended to not play Mattingly against the Mets in a lot of preseason games or, or you know um, – and it's just one of those things, like, I grew up in an age where probably the best pitcher for a two- or three-year period never faced the best batter of a two- or three-year period, where, you know, you're not going to see that nowadays. You're, you're, you're going to see everything there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, both leagues have to get on board with something, and you're, the union's not going to give up the DH. You're, you're, they're not going to give cost players their job. The thing about it too is like people think that it's going to be that it's like like it's you know it's going to lead to a lot of runs. But if you look at the last ten years, both the lead the, the amount of runs scored in both leagues is, is around the same. So it's not like it's going to be a, a big um, big deal that way. But Mike, as far as the DH goes, it does allow for me as a Giant fan, it does allow a guy like Buster Posey um, to get from behind the plate some days and 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 keep his bat in the lineup. Absolutely, you know it's it also enables you to add a big bat to the to the lineup that you might not have been able to add. I mean, uh, a guy who's aging, who's a slugger, um, you know, thirty two, thirty three, thirty four years old, uh, is is going to avoid the National League if he if he you know if he wants to remain in the league. Now he doesn't have to do so. So um, it's going to open up free agency a little bit too, and and also like you said, it's going to extend some careers. I think um, you know somebody like Buster Posey is going to eventually maybe have to go to the American League. To, to stay in the to stay in the uh, in the league and be effective. So um, maybe now you know he'll be able to you know extend some things and stay where he is, or at least stay in the National League. It will open up some options for them. And, and let's be honest too. Like you look at a guy like JD Martinez, um, you know that probably was one of the one of the huge factors of him going to the Red Sox. They have the Red Sox yeah. have a tremendous defensive outfield where they can just say, hey, you're going to be a DH every day. All you got to do is hit four times. And until the playoffs come, he never has to, you know, take the field. So we'll see. What, right. And he he stays fresh and everything like that. So it's kind of cool to see. Kind of, kind of cool to see that how that works. I'm not. I mean, I'm not. To me, it, it's okay. It, 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 it doesn't bother me if it, if it takes place. I mean, if if it happens, it happens. I, I think eventually it's definitely going to happen. So we'll see what happens there. Um, let's see. We got we got the cop guy. We got um, um, McAdoo in the news. You know, you know, McAdoo in the news. I, I'm sure, I'm sure Mike loves to hear this. So what McAdoo is doing now is he um, wrote a manifesto 
uh, in the offseason of what went wrong with him, and he shared it with Peter King. So if you want to check that out, Peter King is now not on um, MMQB anymore. He's on NBC. Um, so that is something that is um, – I'm sure, Mike, you have he, he wonderful, bo- thi- he, wonderful things to he say about famous- him. Go ahead. The most famous, the most famous manifesto since the Unabomber. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just hilarious to see it. Um, thoughts on thoughts, thoughts on your guy, thoughts on your guy. Um, my guy, so my guy, man, I mean, <laughs> How many, how many people were waiting for a manifesto from Ben McAdoo to come out? I mean, it is like. Uh, I, it's it's amazing. So I was I was really looking forward to reading it. Um, I don't know. He said some you know he said some some things about the Eagles. He said he would handle Odell Beckham. He would have handled Odell Beckham better, you know, all the way through. Which means I would have actually he would have actually coached him uh, as opposed to just coddling him, which which is what they've done for the last few years. Um, I don't know. I mean. No one really, no one really cares what Ben McAdoo says at this point. He, he is a young guy. I mean, unfortunately, he's 41 years old. Uh, I think he's 41 or 42. So the idea there that he wants to, he's going to want to coach again. He's got, you know, he, he's still a very talented coach. He just, you know, didn't do things necessarily the the right way with the Giants. He had, was, he was. To his credit, he was faced with some difficult scenarios, though. I mean, Eli Manning is heading to the end of his career. There were some tough decisions to make. He just didn't handle it well. So hopefully things get better for Ben. That's cool. Um, Brett, Brett Musburger is back. Um, Greg Papa is looks like he's going to be out as the Oakland Raiders announcer. I guess when the Raiders were when, when the Raiders moved to uh, Vegas, he's not going with them. Um, but but um, I. It looks like um, Brett Musburger has signed a three-year deal to be the play-by-place voice of the Oakland slash Las Vegas Raiders. So that's um, some football news, which is not much besides GMs getting DUI. Do, do you think? Uh, um, do you think? Do you think Ray Handley looks at Bob McAdoo the way <laughs> the way David Dickens looks at Bill De Blasio, saying, "I'm no longer the worst." Yeah, maybe. <laughs> that's true. Know. That's the possibility. Ray Hanley was worse. I still think Ray Hanley was worse. But that's okay. I can't, uh, I can't speak I on... Um, go ahead. Is, is the, um, is, are the All-Star Game caps a little nod to the Montreal Expos with the three panels that they're doing there, considering that the the Nationals did come from Montreal? Because the hats look a so lot first like... Thing I, first thing I thought of. Back in stadiums, the stadium spits is slow Nuts they go, macadamia and they go so ballistic, whoa He can make them look like bozos, he's wondering if he should spit this flow Fuck no, go for broke, his cup just run us over, oh no He ain't had him a bust like this since the last time that he overdosed They've been waiting patiently for Pinocchio to poke his nose Back into the game and they know rap will never be the same as before Bastion in the brains of these hoes and establishing a name as he goes The passion and the flame is ignited, you can't put it out once we light it This shit is exactly what the prophet I'm talking about when we ride you dealing with a few two villains who stand inside of the booth who's feeling it spit two feelings and stop two feelings come flying up out of a mouth never mind it payback motherfucker for the way that you got at me how's it taste when I slap the taste out of your mouth with the bass so loud that it shakes the place I'm Hannibal Lecter so just in case you're thinking of saving face you ain't gonna have no face to s- Hi it's Jamie progressive number one number two employee leave a message at the 
Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.